morning. Thanks to you who have joined us online and are watching. Good morning to you wherever you are at. Good morning to all of you who are here. Today we conclude our sermon series called This Is Us. And before we get to our last topic, let me just show you some pictures of what I hope is not us. These are some awkward church directory photos, okay? Here you go. Here's the first one. <clears throat> I hope that's not us. That's hopelessly outdated, isn't it? The only one who wants that to come back are the people who make hairspray, right? They're, they're rooting. They're rooting for that. Uh, here's another one. Hope this isn't us. Now, I, at first glance, it looks normal, right? But then uh, what is going on there? It's a little befuddling. I, I hope... I hope we're not too befuddling. And last but not least, how about this? All right, that's downright scary, right? That is, that's more than a little bit weird. And don't anybody be thinking, oh, next time we take pictures for the, no, no, we're not doing that. So that, that is not us, okay? That is not us. What, what is us? When we're talking about this is us, well, we can't show you a picture. Instead, we've been talking about big ideas and concepts, and here's where we've Ben, prayer is our highest privilege. Uh, it was blood-bought, the right to come into the presence of God and to talk with him. That's our highest privilege. Everyone needs grace. We have received grace freely and are to um, extend it to others freely because everyone needs grace. We all need grace. We don't need it once. We need it every day. We are focused on building strong discipleship communities, marriages, and homes. It's important to us. It's central to what we are doing. That's where discipleship uh, happens at its best, is in these kinds of close-knit communities. We will do whatever it takes to help the next generations follow Jesus. We will be known for generosity. Our text today will show some uh, life change that is exemplified in generosity and last week we talked about teamwork that everyone has a part to play there are no spare parts everyone has a part to play and finally uh, we're going to wrap up the series today with this idea of changed lives changed lives jesus changes lives when people get to know jesus their lives are changed and the reason tomorrow happens is because Jesus is still changing lives. And he wants to change lives through you and me. So how can we become a culture, uh, as a spiritual community, that sees lives changed, that is, a, that is committed to seeing lives changed? Well, let's take a look at Jesus. That's where we need to start. And of course, the Gospels are filled with stories of how Jesus changed lives. When people engaged Jesus, when they got to know Jesus, their lives were changed. We're going to take a look at two people whose lives were changed. We're going to take a look uh, at these two stories, which are very similar, and we find them both in the Gospel of Luke. So turn to Luke chapter 5, and we'll start with the calling of Levi or Matthew. Luke chapter 5, we'll start with verse 27. Luke 5, verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. We also know him as Matthew. 
sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. A bit like the last song we sang, right? Abandon it all. All I am is yours. I'm going to leave it all behind and, and give it all to you. Here we see a real life example of that. But it goes on. Look at verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. All right, now I'll flip over to Luke chapter 19, and we're going to read another story of a changed life, but it's very similar. And so there are patterns here, and that's what we want to observe, are these patterns. So uh, Luke chapter 19, starting with verse 1, and this is the story of Zacchaeus, also a tax collector. Luke 19, 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy he wanted to see who jesus was but being a short man he could not because the crowd because of the crowd so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since jesus was coming that way and i know a song is running through many of your heads right okay play it out we'll keep reading all right when jesus reached the spot he looked up and said to him zacchaeus come down immediately I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to, the, to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Well, what do we notice here? Some observations from these two stories that have a lot of similarities. What uh, do they tell us about changed lives? What does it take to see lives change? How does Jesus exemplify it? Well, the first thing I notice is that lives are changed when we see people and not labels, when we see people and not labels, Jesus saw people and their potential, and he called them by name. Zacchaeus, come on down. I must stay at your house today. He, he knew their names. He saw them as people, and he saw the potential in them, whereas the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the others, they just saw, saw the externals. They saw behaviors. They saw professions. They saw the fact that these were sinners in their eyes i've quoted randy multiple times uh, since he was here in the fall when he said this jesus knows our sins but calls us by our name satan knows our name but calls us by our sins jesus knows our name he doesn't ignore sin or deny sin or, or say that sin doesn't matter it does but he sees beyond the sin to people and their hearts, and their potential as his children. Max Licato uh, wrote this about the Matthew uh, 
story. Though Matthew's giving of the invitation is impressive, Jesus' acceptance is more so. It didn't matter to Jesus that Matthew was a thief. It didn't matter to Jesus that Matthew had built a split-level house with the proceeds of extortion. What did matter was that Matthew wanted to know Jesus. And since God rewards those who truly want to find him, Matthew was rewarded with the presence of Christ in his home. Jesus had this habit of um, eating with all kinds of different people. He sat down and had lunch with all different kinds of people. People that some of his peers, other rabbis, would call sinners. Let's talk about that term for a second. Now, the, the rabbis, the Pharisees, uh, the teachers of the law, they would, they would believe that everyone sinned. But this word sinner is a different kind of word. In fact, the New Living Translation uh, uses the word scum. Why, why, does, why do you eat with such scum? So this, this term sinners uh, was reserved for the worst kind of sinners. And guess who topped the list of the worst kind of sinners? Tax collectors. And so tax collectors are the worst of the worst. Why, it, why are you eating with the worst of the worst? You know, tax collectors, of course, they were hired by Rome to collect taxes. These were Jews collecting taxes from their own people. And uh, that felt like betrayal. That, uh, and then, of course, there was not a lot of um, accountability, if you will, for tax collectors. And so they were notorious for uh, assessing things inaccurately. <laughs> In other words, charging more than they needed to and taking the difference and uh, padding their pocket with it. That's theft. That's extortion. And your common Jewish person didn't have any way to dispute that. And so tax collectors were hated. And of course, the wealthier, the richer a tax collector, the more suspicious that would come off. And here we find out that Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector, and he's called wealthy. It's interesting because... Uh, in the Matthew story, it's just the Pharisees that come and say, hey, wh why do you guys eat with such scum, such sinners? But in the Zacchaeus story, it says all the people. He was in Jericho, and all the people grumbled and murmured and complained that Jesus would go to this guy's house. He evidently was public enemy number one. Roundly hated by the people in his community because of what he did. And Jesus pursued him of all people. He, he had this habit of pursuing the worst of the worst. Of course, the Pharisees were a, a different story. They did everything they could to separate and isolate and insulate themselves from such people. They didn't want to ruin their reputations. They wouldn't be caught dead having table fellowship with these kinds of people. Because in that day, and it's kind of true today too, who you eat with, who you spend your time around the table with, that kind of defines, that's the circle of friends that you accept and you associate with. That's your peer group. You know, you go into the high school cafeteria and you have all the tables and you kind of have it all divided up by, you know, subgroups. And unfortunately, that, that goes over into adulthood. We tend to kind of eat with the people that are like us. 
that we associate with. And the Pharisees did not want to be associated with tax collectors or lepers or prostitutes or Gentiles or anyone they saw as unclean. The Pharisees practiced their own kind of cancel culture. They wrote off anyone who wasn't like them, didn't, didn't meet their standards, didn't measure up. Jesus, on the other hand, he promoted a conversion culture, which started with relational engagement. He built bridges, not walls. He didn't write people off. He invited himself over for dinner. I wouldn't suggest that uh, approach. That may not work. So, hey, Rymings, can I come over for dinner? You got something good? What are you cooking for dinner? Because I want to come to your house today and eat it, all right? That's not such a great tactic in our culture. It might work with the Rymings, okay, but I don't know. I don't know. <clears throat> I remember uh, when we lived in Berlin, in the entire time that we lived there, about nine years, we lived in the same apartment in the same apartment building. So, of course, we got to know our neighbors, especially some of them that were there the entire time we were there. And uh, as a result, we were invited to birthday parties, we were invited to socials, we were invited to uh, celebrations of one kind or another. And it was so interesting to me, uh, I would, on these occasions, often find myself sitting next to and eating or having a long conversation with someone who, quite honestly, probably made my internal worst of the worst list. And on one hand, that felt a little weird. On the other hand, it was absolutely right. Because I felt I'm doing exactly what Jesus would do. <laughs> Isn't this awesome? And uh, our neighbor that we got to know the best was the lady who lived... Uh, there were two apartments off of each landing, and so she was across the landing from us. And she was an editor for the local newspaper. The local newspaper was the Berliner Zeitung, which is, has millions of subscribers, okay, so, Berlin is a big city, right? And, uh, but we lived in the neighborhood in all of Germany that had the highest percentage of people who voted for the Communist Party. And this newspaper kind of represented that. And so you can see that she and I didn't agree about everything. And yet we really we built good relationship with her. And about halfway through our time in Germany, her husband abandoned her had, a, had an affair and left her. And who did she come to cry with and to, and to process this with? Us, her next-door neighbors. And those were, that was an awesome opportunity to speak meaningfully into her life, but actually mostly to listen, a lot of listening. And we'll talk about that a bit, a bit later. But, but do you have to be a missionary to do that kind of stuff? That's for all of us. That's for all of us to be like Jesus. If Jesus, if Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to pursue the worst of the worst, you know, I, I'm, actually, I'm not going to have those kinds of labels at all because I love people. People made in the image of God with potential. And, and you know, what's the difference between us and them anyway? It's simply this. We've said yes to grace, a grace that is extended to them by God as well. And so if this is how Jesus looked at people, he saw people, not labels, then we need to do the same thing and pursue those kinds of relationships. Lives are changed when we see people, not labels. 
Number two, lives are changed when people get to know Jesus. <laughs> lives are changed when people get to know Jesus. That's the power for change. It's sourced in Jesus, and he works through his spirit in people's hearts and minds. And we see here in our story two people whose lives were dramatically changed by Jesus. It, it changed their whole perspective. It changed their priorities. It turned them upside down. It made them different people. Matthew, of course, became a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ. Interestingly, uh, the disciples didn't make Matthew the treasurer because he probably had the most skills for that. You know, he was the right person as far as skills go. But, of course, there was that lingering, you know, uh, reputation that tax collectors like to skim off the top. And so instead, they gave the job to Judas. <clears throat> So it's an incredible thing when you open the New Testament, when you go to the New Testament, you open the New Testament and you start to read, the first words you read are Matthew's words inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the, and the person who recorded the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. The person who gave us that, you know, ultimately God through the Spirit, but the person who, who recorded that is the guy who was one of the worst of the worst. Talk about a changed life. Talk about a dramatic change. That's because Jesus uh, changes lives. When people get to know Jesus, their lives are changed. Zacchaeus' life was also changed. <clears throat> He became a philanthropist. He, he was wealthy, remember? The text says he was rich. He said, I'm giving half of all my possessions to the poor, right here and now. Wow, that was significant. But he didn't just become a philanthropist, he also became an honest IRS man. He said, if I've cheated anybody, and, and the way it's written indicates that he probably had, I'm going to give them back four times what I, what I stole. All right? Now, it, we don't have any indication here that Zacchaeus stopped being a tax collector. Taxes had to be collected. In, in fact, um, when the tax collectors came and talked with John the Baptist during John the Baptist's ministry, a little bit previous to this, they asked John, these are tax collectors, and they were, they were repenting of their sins, they were turning to God in faith, they asked him, teacher, what shall we do? And John didn't say, Get a new job. Get a different job. Change vocations. Stop being a tax collector. He didn't say that at all. This is what John said. He said, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Don't continue being a tax collector. Perfectly legitimate job. Just be honest about it. And I believe that's what happened with Zacchaeus. This is the dramatic life change that happened in Zacchaeus' life, is that he became a man of integrity followed by generosity. A man of integrity followed by generosity. That, in our world today, is major life change. Do your work with integrity followed by generosity. How has Jesus changed your life? What's your story? It's not just a one-time thing. Oftentimes there's a big change at some point, but it's a continual working and conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. 
And, the, and these are the stories we're to tell. We're trying to make disciples, not, not just get a decision. And, and that happens best in the context of relationship, where we're sharing our story and helping people to understand more and more who Jesus is. I, I think of a dramatic life change in the Bible is when Jesus took the boat across the lake to the other side and uh, ran into this, this demon-possessed man who was wild and crazy and out of control, running naked through the tombs. And whenever they bound him and chained him and tried to keep him uh, calm, he just burst out of all of it. Talk, talk about a life out of control. But Jesus heals him, and this guy desperately wants to go with Jesus. We read in Luke 8, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Told, told his story, what God had done for him. Telling people about Jesus. Helping people get to know Jesus. Because when people get to know Jesus, their lives are changed. That's the kind of church we want to be. This is us. We, we want to be a, a place where people can get to know Jesus. And as they get to know Jesus, their lives are changed. Well, how's that going to happen? What does our mentality need to be? What do we have to do? Well, here's the third thing. Lives are changed when we share Jesus' priorities. Lives are changed when we share Jesus' priorities. The main point of these stories comes at the end. Jesus has a zinger at the end of each one of these stories. In Luke 5... Uh, Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Talk about inclusivity. Hey, who needs a doctor? Pretty much everyone does, right? I bet you all have a family doctor, right? You have a doctor that you go to. And the, the fact is, it, spiritually speaking, no one is righteous. We all need uh, forgiveness, and so we all need to come to repentance. <clears throat> this uh, wonderful gospel of grace is offered to everybody. Remember, we say grace is for everyone, but, but notice here that the people who receive it are the ones who first acknowledge that they need it that acknowledge that they are sinners and that they need forgiveness and turn from the sin. Those who repent, Jesus calls us to repentance. And that's why the worst of the worst are actually in a better situation than the Pharisees were because they knew that they needed forgiveness, that they needed to turn from their sin. And when that was on their heart, then the grace of God just flowed freely and generously. Jesus said this in Luke 19, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. One commentator said that is the key verse of all of Luke. That's the, that's the theme verse of the entire Gospel of Luke. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Because it expresses Christ's heart for ministry. That he had come to call outsiders into a new uh, spiritual community that found its life centered and sourced in the person of Jesus and his ministry. This is us. That is who we want to be. That's who God has called us to be. 
a place where sick and lost people can get to know Jesus. I'm going to bring up a, a picture I've given several times, but I think we just have to keep getting in our mind. And that is, we, we, need, we need to throw off the facade, because it's artificial, of, of being a, a new car showroom. And we've got to remember what we are. We're a repair shop. We're a repair shop. We're a repair shop where broken down, beat up, tired cars can come to be restored and renewed and given new life. <clears throat> now, if you are a repair shop, think about it. If you're a repair shop, that's what your business is, and you see a broken down, beat up, tired car come limping, sputtering into your repair shop, what's your response? Are you indignant? Are you scandalized? Are you angry? Are you embarrassed? Are you confused? Are you awkward? No, 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 no. What are you? Excited, happy, joyful. Why? Because this is what we're about. We're about seeing broken down, tired out, beat up cars given new life and new hope, repaired and restored. And we do it together as a team. Can we be that kind of people? Here's the truth. Um, the day we stop thinking that way, the day we stop reaching out, the day we stop seeing people's lives change is the day this church starts to die. It'll be a slow death. It won't happen overnight. It won't be from one month to the next. But, but when you stop seeing that, the potentials out there, lives that God is drawing to himself, and the power to change, and he's going to use us to change lives, when that does, to seek and to save the lost, when that isn't at the heart of what we do, then it's just a matter of time. Death has set in. But let's live. Let's be alive. So how, how can we make this practical? Here we go. Last one, uh, lives are changed when we choose to bless people, when we choose to bless people. You know, there's a big difference between the, the mentality of thinking, oh, I've, I've, uh, I've got to convert people versus I want to bless people. I've got, to, I've got to win my neighbor for Christ or I want to bless my neighbor. I want to bless my neighbor. But this, is, this goes all the way back in the Bible to Genesis 12 where God chose one guy, uh, Abraham, and says to him, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. I'm going to bless you. In fact, I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to go further than that. Through you, I'm going to bless all the nations, all the families of the earth. And of course, that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He's the ultimate fulfillment of that blessing. And we are children of Abraham if we put our faith in Jesus. But we, we are also called to be a part of God's blessing the world through Jesus Christ. We are here to bless people. That's a whole different way of looking at it, isn't it? Let's bless people. There was um, a study done a few years ago in Thailand, and there were, uh, they, they, they kind of did a long-term study of 12 businesses that were started with the whole concept of business as mission. Um, they, they started these businesses in order to reach people for Christ in Thailand. But there was a, there was a distinct difference between uh, some of these businesses, about half of them 
Um, they, they absolutely prioritized conversion. Okay, it was about conversion. We're going to go convert people. Uh, and the, if the business worked or was successful, that was a byproduct. That was, you know, great. But it wasn't, they, they kind of put the business idea on the back uh, burner and, and put on the front burner uh, the need to convert people. The other group, and, they, and um, so uh, in this study, they called them the converters. And then the other uh, set of businesses, uh, they believe that reaching people for Christ and seeing conversions was absolutely important and necessary, but they began with focusing on uh, making the business profitable, being able to hire people, being able to give them a good working situation, a good living wage. Uh, they, they focused on meeting needs. They focused on being successful as a business in that culture. Without forgetting the fact, you know, they wanted to bless the people, bless them, bless them, without forgetting the fact that, that we're here with a message. We're here for a purpose that goes beyond just making money. But they, but they wanted to bless first. Well, um, <clears throat> it may surprise you or it may not surprise you that there was a major difference in the uh, response to these two uh, approaches. So, uh, over about a seven-year period, the, con the converters, they saw two people respond. Over here, uh, on the blesser side, they saw 90-some people respond. Now, why is that? There's a good paragraph in this book that explains it. Why was there such disparity between the two groups? Here are some factors. The blessers built more deeply genuine relationships, hired people for the longer term, created great income and capital in the economy, and built deeper trust. Thai people listened when the founders and leaders of blesser companies talked about their faith in Jesus. The Thais were genuinely interested and influenced profoundly by the blessers' natural and timely sharing of their faith. In other words, the blessers the blesser businesses belonged more and blessed others more, and so they had far more spiritual influence. And so I think we, if we want to see lives change, need, we need to have this mentality which is to bless people. Now, bless here is an acronym. It, st it stands for something, okay? So we want to bless people, uh, whether that's our family, our friends, our acquaintances, our neighbors, our coworkers. You know, people that we come across and rub shoulders with, we, we want to choose to bless them. It's something I want us to think about and chew on and, and put into practice. So let me tell you what they stand for. Let me tell you what bless stands for. The B stands for begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. Remember, it's Jesus who changes lives. And so, we, uh, by the way, Jesus has prayed for us. You know, John 17 in the high priestly prayer, Jesus prays for you and me. He's blessed us by praying for us. He intercedes for us even now. So Jesus Christ blesses us by praying for us. We should bless others by being willing to pray for them. Hey, there's a cool website out there called Bless Every Home. And uh, you can go to this website and, and sign up, make an account, and it will tell you the names of your neighbors. It'll give you a map and show you the names of your neighbors. And then it'll remind you every day of five, however many you choose, three to five or whatever, uh, of these that you're going to pray for every day. It just helps you to think about and to pray for your neighbors. You know, it was like 50 degrees and sunny yesterday afternoon. 
we all went for walks in my neighborhood. So I walked by these houses, and um, now I know all the names of the people, and I can pray for them as I walk by their houses. And so it's really good, because then I can pray for people like uh, Nick and Athena Deck, and Drew and Katie Etner, and Jim and Suzanne Kessler, and Sam and Celestine Yider, and Mike and Carrie Yoakum, and Steve and Kathy Friedberg, and John and Janelle Dittmer. Those are all people who go to our church, <laughs> who also live in my neighborhood. And, you know, you might, your initial response might be, well, what's the point if half of the neighborhood goes to our church? No, this is super exciting to me. Because what if all of the people I just mentioned, we all prayed for the other people in our neighborhood? What would God do? All right, we begin with prayer. I'm going to come back to that one, but we begin with prayer. L, listen with care. Listen with care. I heard just this last week a story about uh, Francis Schaeffer, and he was asked one time by someone, if, if you were called to someone's bedside and they only had an hour to live, they were, they were going to die in an hour, what would you do? What would you say? And Francis Schaeffer responded, I would listen for 55 minutes, and then I would give them a gospel in five. Because listening uh, allows for the relationship and the bond and the connection and, and that, that you really care about the person. Uh, so listening is important. And one of the reasons why people don't, you know, evangelism just shuts them down and locks them up and frees them because they're always thinking, what's the next thing I have to say? I don't know what to say. I don't, I'm not sure what to say. Oh, I got to say something. Maybe you don't have to start there. Maybe you can listen. I'm pretty sure we can all listen. All right, I'm, I have a hard time listening. <laughs> okay. But I'll bet you're good at listening. Okay, but we can all learn to... We can, but, of course, listening means you have to ha have some conversation going. You have to have asked a question. You have to have made some engagement. It's about relationship, right? Listen with care. That's the second one. The third one, the E. Oh, I love this one. This is my favorite. Eat together. All right? Eat together. Literally eat together. Look, look at our stories, right? Um, <clears throat> in both situations... There was eating going on. Matthew threw a banquet. I want to go to that. Okay, so uh, eating together because, because that allows you to really, there's something that happens across the table that doesn't happen across the uh, office, you know, desk. <laughs> there, there's something special about eating together. Sometimes I think God created us to have to eat so that we would socialize. Now that brings up something. Nathan Bryant from Assist was here this week. He was talking to us. And he said that the greatest obstacle to faith in our culture isn't theology. It's not that people have thought it all through, they know what the Bible says, they've considered it, and on theological grounds, they've rejected it. That's not it. He says the problem isn't theological, it's sociology. They don't, people don't have relationships with believers. They, 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 they have an impression in their mind of what a Christian is, and it's sometimes not pretty, right? But they don't know any. They have no relationships. And he said the important thing is um, to, to bring people who don't yet know Jesus into contact, into relationship with Christians, with a group of Christians, so that they can see, aha. Maybe that's what Matthew was doing because it says he, he invited Jesus and his followers and his friends. He brought them together. 
into a relational social context so they could get to know each other, so there could be relationship. And so I think kind of one of the ideas of eat together is this whole idea of bringing t- people together in relationship and allowing people to get to know each other. We have, we, we have so much polarization going on in our culture, so many assumptions about each other, so many preconceived notions that are, is keeping the gospel from being shared because you can hardly talk to someone about the wonderful reconciliation that God offers if you have no relationship with them. And, and so eating together, that's a concept. You don't have to literally eat with somebody, but the concept of so- social relationship. It's sociology, not theology. Theology is important, and it comes into the picture. <laughs> All right, but that's not the main obstacle right now. It's more, it's more this, this idea that we create in our minds of people because we don't know people. We don't have relationships, so we, we need to build relationships. And, and, and maybe your gifting is hospitality, and, and part of that would be to bring together some people. Again, we're, we're in teamwork on this as a church. Um, G- God called the church to make disciples, not just individuals. It's called us as a team to make disciples. And so even this whole idea of socializing together, those of you who are good at that, I mean, you know how to put on a party, right? And you love it. They, I don't know, I'm going to tell on the Etners because I live across from them. I mean, I see a lot of cars at the Etners a lot of times. And so I know, without even talking to them, that they have the gift of kind of hospitality and having people over. And so maybe those of you who kind of have that gifting, you may say, my, my part of bless really is to kind of get people together. Well, that'd be great. I got to keep going here. Um, eat together. I could talk a lot about that one. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I got to say this, though. We're going to give you an opportunity even at Easter to do this because um, here's a little, here it is. I'm going to start putting it out there. I'm looking forward to Easter. We're going to have four services, four Easter services, three on Sunday morning, one on Saturday afternoon. The Saturday afternoon one's going to be outside. Big tent. Food trucks. For supper afterwards. And we're going we're to give coupons, vouchers, to people in our neighborhood. Uh, and we're going to invite them to come eat. But you can invite people to come eat. You can pay for them. You know? And, and sit down and eat together. So th- th- this whole kind of idea. And, and at home, those of you who are watching online as you're thinking about Easter, uh, uh, maybe thinking about bringing another family into the home would be a, a great idea. So anyway, eat together. Uh, next, the, the S. The first S is serve in love. If, you, um, if you're listening well and you're, and you're relating uh, socially, you're going you're gonna to hear the person's heart and of needs and you can serve. But you know what? Service is a two-way street. Look what Jesus did. He comes into Jericho and he says to Zacchaeus, I need your help. I need your help, Zacchaeus. Could you help me? Um, I don't have any place to stay, so could you put us all up? You've got the biggest house in town. You've got enough bedrooms for all my disciples. So I could, hey, we're going to stay at your place. Now, that sounds a little presumptuous, right? Okay, fine. But um, this totally honored Zacchaeus. In fact, it really made the crowds unhappy that Jesus would honor, of all people in the town, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was happy to do it. Jesus said, I need your help. And I think sometimes we, we need to not just serve others, but allow them to serve us because that honors and, and values them as we serve together. And the last S is just sharing your stories. Share, share your stories. Again, what has God done in your life? Share your stories of hopes, of dreams, of achievements, of disappointments, of heartaches and victories. 
struggle, failure, redemption, and reconciliation, uh, but bring God into the story. And, and of course, we want to share the story of Jesus and what he's done and who he is and uh, what he offers to us. But again, that's a teamwork thing. That's a teamwork thing. And, uh, and we want to do this whole blessing to others together as a team. All right, here's my challenge. Here's my challenge for you. I'm going to back up to begin with prayer. So uh, I think tomorrow starts March, right? Tomorrow is the 1st of March. And then Easter is right away. It's like the 4th of April. So we have just one month between now and Easter. So here's my challenge is that, you, that all of us uh, sign up on this website, um, <clears throat> Bless Every Home. There it is. There's the website, blesseveryhome.com. Not hard to remember. Blesseveryhome.com. And that all of us uh, commit this next month to praying for our neighbors. And let's see what God will do. If, if, we'll, if we'll start to bless to bless others, we'll begin with prayer. But between now and Easter, everyone um, sign in to that webpage and, and you'll get a chance as you sign up to choose our church as your church. And then we can track how, as a whole church, how many people we're praying for in our community. And we did a little exercise of all these little pins to, to see how we're spread out in our county. And we got it covered, okay, with people in this church. So uh, whether you're online or here, uh, you know, you can... You can do this. And so that's my challenge. Take this away. It's a concrete action step is to log in, uh, set up an account, and begin to pray for your neighbors. You, you may learn, the, even if you just, oh, there's the Etners. I'm so, so, sorry for calling you out there without asking. But, um, uh, uh, but, but uh, hey, um, you, this is a way to, just to bring them to your conscience and get to know their names and as we pray, God will work in ways that we can't foresee because he's that kind of a God because he loves people. All right? Um, I'm going to pray. The band's going to come. We're going to end with a song. Uh, and we've just been focusing on the fact that Jesus is a Savior. He really is a Savior. He came to seek and to save uh, the lost. And uh, we, he wants to use us to see lives changed. And that's where life is at. Let's pray. Father God, I just come to you in thankfulness for your grace and mercy and goodness. And I pray, Father, that you would allow us to be the kind of community of faith where lives are changed, continually being changed and molded into your image. But Lord, we're, we're especially thinking of those in our community who don't yet know you. We want them to know you, Lord. And uh, we, we just ask that you'd help us to learn as a team, as a church, as a group of Christ followers to bless our community in ways which will help lives be changed as they get to know you. Amen.